Numbers 27, the Bible is a wonderful book, and so often I've uh, been telling people how what I've been preaching through um, on Sunday mornings, and everybody I tell that I'm preaching through Numbers says, kind of gives me a weird look, like, are you serious? I said, man, it's been really good. I've really enjoyed going through the book of Numbers, so I hope you have as well. If you haven't, let me know. I'd love to talk to you about that. Um, we talked a little bit this morning about um, giving us what you think. We need to know that. We need to understand that. Please tell us in a good way, though. Have a good attitude about that, all right? I want you to think about this. Ownership translates into action. Ownership translates into action. Just the other day, actually a couple weeks ago, we rented a car. We were driving down to Cincinnati, Ohio, and then moving on to Gatlinburg, Tennessee. We didn't want to put all the kilometers on our vehicle, so we decided to rent a car. You know what's great about renting a car? You don't care about it, right? You know that insurance that they ask you about? You better have that. Because if you find a hill, you know, you're going to jump that thing. Just, just let it go. You don't have to worry about changing the oil. You don't have to worry about the tires. You don't have to worry about if it's dirty when you give it back. And we had three kids that were eating for a week in the car. It was gross. We tried to clean it out the best we could just so that somebody else wouldn't have to. But those things, you don't have to worry about those things when you rent something. I got in my vehicle the other day. And it looked almost the same as the rental vehicle did. And you know what I did? I almost freaked out. Like, why does our vehicle look like this? It's disgusting. And you begin pulling stuff out. You know why? Because I care about that. Ownership translates into action. I care about my vehicles. And maybe you think I'm wrong for not caring about a rental vehicle. Uh, that's your opinion, I guess. But I, I really didn't care much about it. I didn't want to get in an accident. I didn't want to hurt anybody or any of those things, but I didn't care about changing the oil. Never crossed my mind. I didn't care about changing the tires. Never even crossed my mind. I didn't really care much about it, but every day I think about I'm listening to sounds in my vehicle. I want to hear if there's anything wrong. In fact, last night we were driving home from Michigan and I hear this sound. Both my wife and I look at each other and says, what's that? You know, because we care about our vehicle. Ownership translates into action. Just for the record, it was actually nothing to end up being the radio. So, praise the Lord, it was just the radio. Numbers 26, you're in Numbers 27, but Numbers 26 begins with God instructing Moses and Aaron to find out the number of the children of Israel. So go out, find out how many people there are, find out how many there are. The chapter progresses by naming all of the tribes. And then it names the leaders of those tribes. In all of these people, everything that's said, there's one person. It's a very long chapter. You can see it there. It's a very long chapter. In all of this, I want to focus on one person in all of these names. One person. The person's name is Zelophead. How many of you would name your child Zelophead? Not one of us, okay? Zelophead. I actually do want to just jump back to Numbers 26. Look at verse 28. Numbers 26 and verse 28. The Bible says, The sons of Joseph after their families were Manasseh and Ephraim. Most of us would know that. Of the sons of Manasseh, of Masher, the family of the Masherites. And Masher begat Gilead. And Gilead come, of Gilead come the family of the Gileadites. 
These are the sons of Gilead, of Jezer, the family of the Jezerites, of Helek, the family of the Helekites, and of Asriel, the family of the Asrielites, and of the uh, and of Shechem, the family of the Shechemites, and of Shemeda, the family of the Shemadites, and of Hefer, the family of the Heferites. Here it is. And Zelophead, the son of Hefer. Watch this now. The next couple words are important. Had no sons. So this is the son of Joseph. Joseph had two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. This is Manasseh's line. This is Manasseh's children. And there's this man by the name of Hefer, and he was the family of the Heferites, and Zelophead was one of his sons. But the key here is Zelophead had no sons but daughters. The names of the daughters of Zelophead were Mala and Noah and Hogla. What a name for a lady. Milka and Terza. And so he had five daughters. Zelophead is interesting because he only had daughters. He had no sons. And the Bible makes it very clear, very apparent, very open that he only had five daughters. But what I want you to notice about this is further on down in the chapter of 26, look at verse 52. And the Lord spake unto Moses. Now he told Moses, go number all the people. Go figure out how many there are. And then he says this to Moses. Spake unto Moses, unto these, unto these, the ones that we have just mentioned, unto these the land shall be divided for an inheritance according to the number of names. To many thou shalt give the more inheritance, and to few thou shalt give the less inheritance. To everyone shall his inheritance be given according to those that were numbered of him. Notwithstanding, the land shall be divided by lot. According to the names of the tribes of their fathers shall they inherit. According to the lot shall the possession thereof be divided between many and few. So here's what you need to understand. Every person that was just mentioned Every person that was just put into all of these verses, every one of those people has an inheritance in the promised land. Remember, it's called the promised land. It was promised to them. It was given to them. All they had to do was claim what they already owned. These people are here named in Numbers chapter 26 are to receive that inheritance. They are the ones who will literally have land in their name. If you go to a Bible map and you look at Israel, you will see pockets of land called Manasseh. You will see pockets of land called Reuben. You will see pockets of land called Ephraim. You will see pockets of land called Dan. You will see pockets of land called different, the, the 12 different tribes. And so you will see those. That was their land. That was their inheritance. That was their possession. It was for them. They are the ones that will actually see the physical manifestation of the land that God promised in Genesis chapter 12 to, to Abraham. This is what they get to see. These are the ones who will actually own the promised land. All of these people that are mentioned. But I want you to see Numbers chapter 27. This is the background to this story. This is where this kind of sets us all up. Numbers chapter 27, look at verse 1. The Bible says this. Then came the daughters of Zelophehad, the son of Hefer, the son of Gilead, the son of Mashir, the son of Manasseh, of the families of, the, of Manasseh, the son of Joseph, 
And these are the names of his daughters. Again, it, it, it's repeating these for clarity. It says Mala, Noah, and Hogla, and Milcah, and Tirzah. And they stood before Moses and before Eleazar the priest, and before the prince, and all the congregation by the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, saying, Our father died in the wilderness. And he was not in the company of them that gathered themselves together against the Lord in the company of Korah, but died in his own sin and had no sons. Here it is, verse 4. Why should the name of our father be done away from among his family because he hath no son? Give unto us therefore a possession among the brethren of our father. And Moses brought their cause before the Lord. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, The daughters of Zelophehad speak right. Thou shalt surely give them a possession of an inheritance among their father's brethren, and thou shalt cause the inheritance of their father to pass unto them. I want to preach to you a message I've entitled, Taking Ownership. Let's pray. Father, thank you for all you do. Thank you for allowing us to be here this morning. Father, thank you for this story in the Bible. Help us to understand what ownership is. Help us to understand how ownership compels us and translates into action. Father, help us to understand what you did for us and help us to claim that for your honor and for your glory. Father, we love you so much. We're so thankful for the opportunity that we have to be here. Father, I help and pray that you would help us to leave here different than when we came. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Taking ownership. Ownership is an important thing, as we've already discussed. When you own something, when you purchase something, you want to take care of it. You want to help it. You want to move it forward. You want to do all that you can when you take ownership of something. But I want you to see this. Ownership leads us to perform three principles that I believe we can apply to our lives every single day. Number one, ownership causes us to go against the grain. Against the grain. These five ladies quite literally go against the grain. These five ladies, now you have to understand something. They are the ones out of this bunch of people. All of these people that were mentioned, you know what they are? You know what the difference between them all is? Every one of them was a man, except for these five ladies. You know, they need to go against the grain they, uh, it was not the norm for women to inherit land. It was not the norm for any child, any daughter of a man to inherit anything. It was always the firstborn son that inherited something. It was always that way. And so these ladies literally have to go against the grain. They don't, they're not going to inherit anything from their fathers. They were to be married. They were to be pushed off, so to speak, on another man. And that other man would then take care of them. And so it is much in our society today. You, a lady, a girl does not leave her father's care and her father's authority until she is married. The Bible is very clear about that. The fact of the matter is here, they did not ever inherit land or inherit anything. For, so for these five sisters, this was something that was completely out of the norm. This was not a normal occurrence for women to inherit land, but taking ownership of something will make you go against the grain. You see, they had been promised something. They had been promised that, that their family, the family of Zelophehad, would have a name in the promised land. And though, so they wanted to take ownership. They were going to do something about their situation. Their father had been named in the inheritance list. 
And they just simply wanted to be a part of it. They wanted to do something with their life. They wanted to claim that which God had already given them. You know, the problem is, in our lives, we are often okay with the status quo, aren't we? We were talking, I was talking to my brother-in-law this weekend, and we went through Tim Hortons. And it was in Michigan, and I do not recommend going to this particular Tim Hortons. We were in the drive-thru for over 10 minutes, and it wasn't long. They messed up our order. We, had, we got three things. I got a medium double cream. He got a medium double-double and a 10-pack of assorted Timbits. For those of you who have worked at Tim Hortons, how hard can that be? We got asked at least six times, what was your order again? What was your order again? It was terrible. It was absolutely horrendous. Listen, I'm the type of guy, just give me something. I don't care what it is. I'll just go with it. I really don't care. I'm so, I'm pretty easy going that way. Listen, if you get my order wrong, I really don't care. If you give me a cheeseburger instead of hamburger, I don't care. If I'm allergic to cheese, I'll just pull the cheese off and put it on. I just don't care. That's the type of person I am. I'm kind of lax in that sense. But listen, if you do that kind of thing, at some point, you're going to miss out on something. There was one time, I remember, <laughs> I won't give you all the details, but I had the opportunity to change something, and I didn't care. And now today I'm looking back going, oh, I wish I'd have done that. I missed out big time. And listen, if you have that type of attitude, and I'm not trying to say it's right or wrong or whatever, but listen, ownership compels you and translates into action. These girls said, no, we need to claim what is rightfully ours, and we're going to take it. We are going to take what God has promised us. And you know what they did? They went against the grain. They stood up for what they believed in. They did something about it, and we are often okay with the status quo. We're okay with not making any ripples in the water. We get very comfortable with where we are. We don't want to upset the apple cart. We just want everything to run smoothly. We don't want to jostle anything around, but there are times when we need to stand up and make change. These girls stood up and they literally made change. There are times when we need to go against the grain. There are times when we need to go against our culture, go against our, get this now, tradition. There are times we need to go against those things in order to take ownership of what God has. Again, I need you to understand, this was really against society. This was against tradition. This was against so many things in their lives. But yet they knew that God had promised them, their family, something, a part of the promised land, and they weren't going to sit idly by and let it go. So they went against the grain. Sometimes we need to go against the grain. I want to take you to Matthew chapter 7. Keep your finger there in Numbers 27. Go over to Matthew chapter 7. Look at verse 13. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 13, the Bible says this, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. Watch this now. And many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate, 
and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. You see, in order to take ownership of the promise that God has given us of eternal life, in order to claim or take ownership of that, you know what we have to do? We have to go against the grain. There are people, thousands, millions of people flooding one way. They're going to the broad gate, the easy way, and they're, they're going that way. You know what we have to do? We have to go against the grain because straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leadeth unto life and broad is the way that leadeth unto destruction. There are people going this way by the droves. We have to turn and push this way if we're going to claim eternal life. In order to have ownership of something, we must go against the grain, against what everyone else is doing, because God promised us we can have eternal life if we'll do that. And so I look across the room, and I would say majority of the people that sit here in front of me today have done that. They've gone against the grain for their salvation. They've gone against the grain to receive Jesus Christ. That's not cultural. It's not societal. It's something that they had to do because God spoke to them. God promised it to them, and they were going to claim it. And so many people don't claim it. So many people know about it. So many people understand it even and say, listen, it's too hard. I'm not going to go against the grain. I'm not going to push away my friends. I'm just going to follow them. I'm going to go with them. I'm going to work in this way, and I'm not accept Jesus Christ. In order to receive the promise of God that given us eternal life, we must go against the grain. But listen, we do it for our salvation, but we need to do it for other things. Go to Ephesians. Again, keep your finger in Numbers 27. Go to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5 and verse 25. Ephesians 5 and verse 25. Ephesians 5, verse 25, the Bible says this. Husbands, love your wives. Even as Christ also loved the church, watch this now, and gave himself for it that he might sanctify it and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such Thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. You see, in order to take the ownership of the promise that God will not let the gates of hell prevail against his church, we must go against the grain and be spotless. Spotless. You see, our culture, our society wants to live the way they want to live. Our culture, our society doesn't care if they sin. Our culture, our society doesn't give a, a two cents what, what God thinks. And listen, oftentimes that permeates into the church. Maybe not to the same extent, but sometimes it permeates into our church. But listen, God said, go against the grain. Go against culture. Go against tradition and be a spotless church. Why? That I might present it to myself at holy Holy church, spotless before God. Listen, so often we just go with the grain. Listen, I'm going to listen to the world's music. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to spend life the way that I want to spend it. Am I going to heaven? Yes, I am. I can never lose that. But I'm not going to be a spotless church. 
You see, the problem is you think of the church as a, as a whole. You realize the church is every individual that sits here this morning. Every individual in this church this morning has a responsibility for yourself to, re, to remain spotless. You know what that takes? It takes going against the grain. It takes pushing aside and saying, listen, I don't care what culture says. You know what sometimes that might take? That might take going against the people that you're sitting next to. Hey, come with us. We're going to do this thing that may not be exactly the best thing for a Christian to do. No, I'm sorry. I'm not going to do that. You say, Pastor, you almost in Bible Baptist Church? Possibly. You see, sometimes ownership, taking ownership of what you're doing, taking ownership of you as your body in the church, need to be spotless. It takes going against the grain. But see, every single one of us has a responsibility to do that. The problem is it's easier to go with the grain, isn't it? We used to split wood for my grandpa. And I, honestly, I loved it. It was good exercise, got us outside, and I really enjoyed it. And we learned pretty quickly that if you try to split wood where there's a knot right down the center of the knot, you're not going to split it very well. It takes an awful lot of work to go against the grain. But if you split it or if you cut wood or if you sand wood with the grain, oh man, it just goes so much better. So much smoother, so much easier. Listen, don't get me wrong. It is far easier to go to the broad way that leads to destruction. Satan makes it so easy. But listen, it is so much more worth it to go against the grain. These daughters of Zelophead would not have ever gotten their inheritance if they just went with the grain. Yeah, you know what? You're probably right. We'll probably never get it. We'll probably never do it. We'll probably never be able to stand up. By the way, they, just standing up in front of these men was something. And they stand there before the congregation of Israel and they say, no, we are going to take ownership of this thing. And it compelled them and it, it translated into action. If you go with the grain and you do not accept Christ as your Savior, the Bible says that you will be led into destruction. If you say, I'm going to go the broad way, the broad way leads to destruction. It's easier to go that way. If you go against the grain, and, or excuse me, go with the grain and you are a carnal, worldly Christian, get this now, you will never experience the true power of what God wants to do with your life. You can come to this church. You can hear about what Jesus did for you. But until you take ownership, until you go against the grain and say, I will claim God's promise of eternal life, the Bible again says you will spend an eternity in hell. I don't like that. I don't like to tell you that. That's what the Bible says. So listen, it's easier to go that way. But this way leads to hell if you haven't accepted Christ. And this way leads to everlasting life with Jesus Christ. But listen, on the same token, you can come to this church. You can ask. You can sit in the pew and you can say, come on, preacher, give me something. Give me something. And you can sit there and wait for somebody to give you something. Or you can be different from everyone else. You can go against the grain. and You know what you can do? You can take ownership of your part in the church and you can have an active role in the furtherance of God's church. You see, 
you know, we call, we call them pew sitters. Just sit there, come every Sunday, be as you are, leave as you were, all of those things. And so often we just get in this consumer mentality. Let me consume. I'm going to a restaurant, I'm going to consume. And you know what consumer mentality does? Consumer mentality makes you critical. Every time you go into a restaurant and you have a consumer mentality, hey, I'm going to get something from this, you know what you do? Man, that waitress wasn't very nice. Man, that, that food wasn't the best I've ever had. Something was just a little bit off this time. Listen, when you're in a consumer mentality, you get critical. Listen, there are churches everywhere across North America and probably even the world that have a consumer mentality. Give me something. But God says we need to go against the grain and have a spotless, a holy church moving forward. Something I heard this week. I think I've heard it before, but... We are so willing to criticize that which we are not truly a part of. We're so willing to criticize that which we are not truly a part of. Listen, I'm not trying to say we have a problem with criticizing in this church, but if there was ever a problem of criticizing in the church, it would come from people who are not involved. So my challenge to every person in this room that is a member of our church, a part of our church, would you take ownership of that? Would you go against the norm? Would you go against the grain and say, listen, I want to do something to further the cause of Christ. I want to do something that, that God would be pleased. I want to be a spotless church, one that's moving forward. I don't want to be critical of what's going on. I want to be in and with God moving forward. And I'm going to take ownership of that. I don't want the gates of hell to prevail against this church moving forward. Not only did they go against the grain, number two, I want you to see this, they admitted their weakness. Go back to Numbers 27 with me. Numbers 27, verse 3. Numbers 27, verse 3, the Bible says this. Our father died in the wilderness. And he was not in the company of them that gathered themselves against the Lord in the company of Korah. Watch this. But died in his own sin. You know what we have a tendency of doing? Sugarcoating things. Sugarcoating things. Oh, my father, you know, he wasn't that bad of a guy. Or, or you know what, I, I didn't really mean to do that. Or, or, or we sugarcoat things. Listen, they admitted their weakness. They admitted to their father's sin. He wasn't in the company of Korah. He wasn't the one that rebelled against God. But you know what he did? He probably murmured or complained. Or maybe he was one of the ones that was committing whoredoms with the daughters of Moab. We don't know exactly what it was. But he died in his own sin. It was his fault. He did it. You see, they admitted to their father's sin. But you know what else they did? You know what else they were saying? You know, women didn't fight in wars back then. And you know what? They haven't claimed the promised land yet. They haven't gone in and fought in Jericho, and they haven't fought Ai, and they haven't fought any of these places. Women didn't fight. And so they're standing up and saying, we want to claim a piece of land that we will never fight for. We'll never do any work. 
We'll never put our necks out there. We're going to stay back while all the men go out and fight. We're going to stay back and sit here while all the men go out and fight. They had to sit back and let someone else fight their battles for them. I want you to think about this. If we're going to take ownership, we need to admit our weakness. If we're going to gain eternal life that God has promised, then we are going to have to admit that we cannot do it ourselves. Why? Because we're sinners. We, me, I am a sinner. You have to claim that for yourself. You have to admit to yourself that you are a sinner. And you know what? I cannot fight on my own. I'm not, I cannot claim, physically claim that land. I cannot go in and fight. I cannot do it. You know why? Because Jesus Christ already claimed it for me. Jesus Christ already fought the battle with sin. Jesus Christ already paid the penalty. Listen, my weakness is sin and I need somebody to help me with it. And so often we get that backwards. Well, I'm not a sinner. I didn't do anything wrong or I'm not going to use Jesus Christ as a crutch. You need to admit to your weakness. Admit to your weakness. We do none of the work in salvation. But you know what? We reap all the benefits. The daughters of Zelophehad will do none of the work, but they will reap the benefits. Why? Because God promised it to them. Simply claiming a promise. Let's move this into the church. If we are going to continue strong and claim God's promises, then we are going to have to admit our weakness. This is what we have to admit. We are going to have to admit when we're wrong. How many of you like to admit when you're wrong? I hate it. I despise it. We're going to have to admit when we're wrong. We're going to have to admit when we sin. Folks, there's far too often in our church and in churches like ours that people are sinning and they're hiding it and they're struggling with it and they don't want anybody else to know. That's going to debilitate a church. If we're going to continue in a church that's strong, that's vibrant, we're going to have to take ownership of our sin. Listen, I did wrong. I need help. I have to admit my weakness. We're going to have to admit when we have shortcomings. We're going to have to admit that we need God's help. Listen, we cannot fight Satan. We cannot fight Satan. Only God can fight Satan. And only God will destroy Satan in the end. So we need to admit that we need God's help. We cannot fight the battle on our own. We need God. We're going to have to admit that we don't have all the answers. And that we're not perfect. You say, Pastor Yeomans, who would ever do that? Who would ever be like that? Who would ever stand up and say, listen, I'm having trouble. I'm having problems. I need to admit my weakness. Listen, these daughters of Zelophia did. Listen, our father died. He was wrong. No, we will probably never fight in this battle. But that's our promise to claim. Why in the world would anybody do that? I want to take you to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Very famous passage of scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, look at verse 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, the Bible says this. 
Paul speaking. And he said unto me, watch this, my grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength, being God's strength, is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities. Why? That the power of Christ may rest upon me. Verse 10, therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecution, in distresses. For Christ's sake, watch this. For when I am weak, for when I am weak, then am I strong. You see, we cannot do the Christian life. We cannot be the church on our own. And the sooner we figure that out, the more powerful the church will be. We cannot do it on our own. We cannot conquer on our own. Conquering has to be done through Christ. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. You see, it's got to be through him. Admit your weakness. Admit it and say, you know what? I blew it. I messed up. Just got fleshly and just did my own thing. Admit to that. The Bible says in your weakness, God is strong. So not only did they admit their weakness, number three I want you to see, and finally, they were able to adopt God's promise. Look at verse 7. God speaking, verse 6 says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, the daughters of Zelophead speak right. Thou shalt surely give them a possession of an inheritance among their father's brethren. And thou shalt cause the inheritance of their father to pass unto them. You know what the word adopt means? It means to make something as one's own. Something that wasn't really yours to make it as one's own. I want you to see this again. Ownership translates into action. Ownership translates into action. But here's something else you need to think about. Action translates into results. Listen, you can sit here all day long and do nothing. And you will never see any results. You can come to church for the rest of your lives and do nothing. And you will never see results. Just one small caveat. Action done God's way will always translate into results. You know the wonderful part of this story? was that it was God's promise, and they claimed it. Listen, we're going to go through our church, and we're going we're gonna to do things, and we're going we're gonna to be different things, but listen, our church must always, 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 always do things God's way. Let me say that again. Our church must always, always, always do things God's way. It should never be done my way should always be done God's way. Listen, if you're not saved here today, you can think you can do it any other way. 
but it must be done God's way. But you have to take action. You have to take action. You have to do something about it again. If these ladies had just stepped back and, and done nothing, they would have no action. They would have not taken anything. They would have, have sat there with absolutely nothing. You know, always action translates into results. If I want to gain weight, you know what I should do? I should eat more. That's an action, right? Getting fat is probably not the best thing to do in your life. But actions translate into results. And if I, you know what, if I want to get strong, you know what I should do? The action of working out. Good result, right? Better for your health, all of those things. Listen, most action translates into results. But if my only working out is doing this, I'm doing something wrong. This is the easy way. You know what working out takes? Hard work. Going against the grain. Going against fast food. Going against donuts. It's going against all of those things. Doing the right thing will always translate into God's work being done. You can take any action you want with God, but the actions that will truly bring about results are actions that are based upon God's word. If you want to claim the promise of eternal life, it has to be done through God's word. If you want to be the prevailing church that prevails against the gates of hell, it has to be done through God's word. Again. The daughters of Zelophead today are owners of the land that God promised them. Simply because in their minds and in their conduct, they took ownership of what God had told them that they could have. And you know what? They didn't let anything stop them. They didn't let fear stop them. They didn't let society stop them. Action translated into results. So question, what about you? Where are you at? Maybe today, again, I, as I look across the room, I think I know most people. But maybe today you need to take ownership of your sin. Realizing that you have sinned and that sin is condemning you to hell. Maybe you need to adopt God's promise of eternal life. By accepting his death on the cross. Or maybe you need to take ownership of your role in this church or in the church that you attend. Realizing that it's not about what you can get, but about what you can give. And adopt God's promise of a beautiful church prevailing against the gates of hell. Folks, the daughters of Zelophehad are a wonderful reminder of what salvation can be and what a beautiful church can be when we claim God's promise and we take ownership of it which leads us to go against the grain, which leads us into action, and we get to adopt what God has promised. I'm excited about what God will do. God said that the gates of hell will not prevail against this church. Are we going to be a spotless church? And if God said you can have eternal life, if you'll just believe on him, believe on Jesus Christ, listen, you can have it. 
just got to take ownership of it.